values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate you spending some time with us on this Friday. Hope you got a great weekend planned as we roll into this third hour of the show. Um, I use the word policy quite a bit because I think it's important to make a distinction. If you're going to have a conversation about politics, it's got to start with policy. Um, There are people, and I think this goes with the apologetics of things, where you are set in your ways because that's who you align yourself with. And I'll give you a a comparison. How many people do you know that are churchgoers? They go to church, and if you ask them why they go to church, I'm a, let's say I'm a Christian. I go to church. I go to the Catholic church. My parents went to the Catholic church. My grandparents go to the Catholic church. I'm Catholic. What does it mean to be a Catholic? And there are some people that are apologists in a good way. That's apologetics that they are able to describe why Catholicism is their belief system. Why Christianity? Why why do you believe what you believe? That's someone that can defend their faith. There are people that are just Republicans, which means the Democrats are bad and are the wrong thing for the country. But why? What are the things that are different? Now, many people, and I think they're right in a lot of ways, would they call it the uniparty sometimes, that both parties have gotten so convoluted that there's not much of a difference between a lot of people in the two parties. I, and I do believe that's a flaw of both parties, that the distinction between what Democrats want and what Republicans want is necessary for the political discourse. And it's also necessary for the checks and balances, which is why the founding fathers absolutely had to know that we weren't going to agree much of the time on how the country should be run. But it puts in place checks and balances with the separation of powers so that things get done in a in a way that isn't always one sided. So I look at the policies. I've got in front of me some headlines that go in the direction of what I believe is right and wrong. Uh, President Biden's energy agenda is putting U.S. pipeline workers' livelihoods at stake. Business is gone, according to one of the CEOs. One Biden manufacturing regulation could wipe out one million jobs, according to business leaders. Restaurant owners warn new California law will make menu prices skyrocket and crippling everyone. They're talking about a $50. Now, that's not a Biden policy, but it's a California policy of a $50 an hour minimum wage. Um, The other thing, and I'm going to give you an example of how this works and what frustrates me because this frustrates everyone. So you've got – let's go with the stereotypes of political parties in a a moment. Republicans favor rich business owners and Democrat policies favor working class people and not necessarily all poor Americans but working class Americans that don't make a lot of money. Let's go with those stereotypes. The attorney general of Arizona – a Democrat is suing um, the the federal government because the IRS wants to take a piece of your tax rebate. Uh, here's the headline. Rebate money belongs to Arizonans, not the IRS, according to A.G. Chris Mays. She argues in a suit against the feds. This is one of those areas where if you argue policy and not party, everybody wins because everybody – most people agree. The the state of Arizona said we've collected more taxes than we need from the taxpayers of Arizona. Because of high inflation, the taxpayers need this money to help make ends meet. So we're going to give you back some of the taxes that we've collected from you. And a bunch of Arizona families, families with children, are going to reap the benefit of getting their money back. Again, it's not the state's money handing you money. They're giving you part of your money back. 
And the federal government swooped in and said, the IRS said, no, 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 that's taxable income. So you are going to have to pay federal income taxes on that money. And it's so ridiculous when you think about it, because if the government, if the state of Arizona hadn't collected that money in the first place, it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been a it, income. You'd have just kept what you already had. But do you understand the mindset shift now where our government is saying, wait a minute, it's your money. We're just giving it back to you. But the federal government says, no, 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 that's government money and they're giving it to you. That's income. So when you look at a tax cut, whether it's for the big businesses that are everybody's always arguing with and about, or it's a small business or it's an individual, a tax cut is not the government giving you anything. A tax cut is the government taking less from you. And that distinction is the center point of a lot of political ideology. It certainly is the center point of my ideology. I'm not an, I'm not an anti-government person, but we fund the government. And there are many people on the other side of the aisle for me that believe it's the other way around, that the government has to fund these welfare programs. It has to fund Well, we argue all day long about safety nets. I'm not certainly not against safety net programs, but that comes from the American taxpayer. It's not out of the goodness of the government's heart. It is from the hard work of the American taxpayer. So if you have that shift in your mind, if in your mind you now see it as your money, they are just the stewards of that money. So when you hear something, I'm going to go on, you know, obviously I'm going to argue against the other side of the aisle from me. When you have Chuck Schumer or you have, uh, let's go, let's lo locally. When you have Democrats in the state of Arizona that want to stand up and, and say that they're going to take care of this and they're going to take care of that, they're doing it on your behalf. It's your tax dollars that are doing it. And every one of us, and I would say the vast majority of people in Arizona, agree with Chris Mays that we should not be taxed on the money that was ours to begin with. Well, you've now got a mind shift when it comes to taxation. When you look at the policies of this administration, what they've done in the energy industry, if you are looking at it objectively, there's no way you can argue that the policies of this administration and the environmental constraints and the uh, canceling of pipelines and the canceling of natural gas products and the canceling of drilling leases and the limiting of drilling leases haven't done a lot to damage the industry and cause prices to go through the roof. We paid record numbers, record amounts of money for gas and diesel fuel. And you can't tell me that it wasn't the policies in this administration that were partly responsible. Now, if I were them, I'd do exactly what they've been doing, which is arguing about Russia and about the wars and about everything else. All that's true. But what you can control as a government if, is how you can Make sure the American economy is the easiest for the American people. It's one of the reasons why we're seeing more oil production now from the United States than we've ever seen before. It is a shift in policy from the Biden administration. The fact that they are backing off some of their new EPA regulations on vehicle emissions and electric vehicle purchases because they realize too much, too fast, and how it's damaging industries. The automobile industry has taken a huge hit, a huge hit. Because they were they were they were buying into and they were not forced, but they were going down the road of of all of these programs on electric vehicles that weren't working out. Their profits have been hammered because of it. Here's one more example on a local level. Let me find this. Um, um, man, I'm, I'm I can't find this. Oh, 
Here it is. Democratic mayor hands out $10,800 for economic equity program that funds a lavish five-day trip to Miami. Um, Washington, D.C. mayor distributed thousands of dollars to low-income moms with no strings attached as a part of an equitable economic recovery strategy, otherwise known as the redistribution of wealth. And what did people do with it when they were given a handout of that kind of money? Many of them went on vacation. One of them said, I just wanted to blow it. And you say, okay, well, why should the average taxpayer, why should I, as a taxpayer, fund that for somebody else? Those are the little policy differences that what sounds like a good idea, we're going to be equitable and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. In reality, once it plays itself out, it's completely unfair. In a moment, the Office of Accountability and Transparency in the city of Phoenix reports on two cases. I'll give you the update coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, if you haven't subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, please do it. It's very simple to do. Never miss a minute of the show. The Mike Broomhead Show podcast this week brought to you by your Valley Chevy dealers. All right, so the Office of Accountability and Transparency, I kind of went into detail about this office. It was created a few years ago in response, I believe, to the defund the police movement. It was going to be one more level of oversight or at least another set of eyes. They don't have any power of prosecution. They don't have any punishment power at all. So with the way the two organizations that oversee the police department now criminally, it's the county attorney's office. If an officer, any agency, if an officer, deputy, if a trooper, if they break the law, they're held accountable by being charged in court. The other is PSB or what's better known as Internal Affairs, the Professional Standards Bureau. They do a policy investigation and officers are subject then if they violate company policy to punishments from suspensions and retraining to being fired, all kinds of different things. But they have actual um, not just oversight, but then the ability to do something. The Office of Accountability and Transparency do not. In the first case, they found out in the Wall Street Journal reporter was stopped at a bank and he was asking people questions. The bank didn't want him there. An officer approached. The guy was fairly uncooperative. He wasn't abusive. He didn't resist, but he was uncooperative. He ended up being put in handcuffs. And in the end, the Office of Accountability and Transparency asked the question. They questioned, why wasn't, why didn't you inquire whether or not race was a part of this? A completely ridiculous question because race had nothing to do with it. It wasn't even a part of it. But by asking, why didn't you ask? It looks like you're hiding something, which is not the truth. So here is an ABC 15 story about the second report. A second monitoring report involved a Phoenix officer at a Circle K repeatedly punching this man, Arthur Ashe, in the face and head, hospitalizing him. The report says Phoenix police decided the officer involved acted within policy, even though they failed to conduct a full-scale investigation and failed to watch all of the body cam video. Okay, um, here's my issue with this kind of thing. The Office of Accountability and Transparency has no one in law enforcement working for it. No one that's ever been in law enforcement. No one that has any full connection to someone that's been in law enforcement. Now, like, I would be ineligible for that office. And I would admit up front I'm not the right person for an oversight office because I will give the benefit of the doubt. Now, I'm not someone that's uh, – um, 
blind. When a cop does the wrong thing, I'll call it out. I have called it out. Um, but I am unapologetically pro-law enforcement, so I'm probably not the right person to put on that board. But I'm ineligible because my brother and an immediate family member is a cop. My brother's a captain in the sheriff's office. So I'm not eligible to work for this office. That's a red flag for me right away. But here we go again. This office says, well, you didn't do your job. It, it Once again, it backs up the narrative, which is a false narrative, that the police department's PSB, Professional Standards Bureau, is flawed, doesn't do its job, or overtly covers up the bad things that cops do. I'm just telling you, I have watched and I know cops have done horrible things. I've had people that I've known, I'm talking about friends that were in law enforcement that did the wrong thing and lost their jobs and should have. That's just how it is. It's unfortunate. Not everybody should do this job. And unfortunately, in other jobs, you can lose your cool and make a mistake or do something out of character and it doesn't cost you your career. But with the seriousness of law enforcement, sometimes it does. And I, I've watched the Phoenix Law Enforcement Association uh, plea, which plea is the, you know, the union that represents street level cops. I've watched them recommend officers lose their jobs. Um, so this is not a police department that is only begrudgingly do they say someone did something wrong. That's not the case. When you hear the current police chief, Michael Sullivan, say that the Phoenix Police Department is a self-assessing, self-correcting agency, they are, and they were before he got here, but they certainly are now. And they look with a critical eye at everything that officers do, and officers have to answer for their behavior. So to say, well, it was, what happened was within policy. You've got an organization that knows nothing about law enforcement, has, knows nothing about the dangers or why. There's a lot of times what cops do, it looks like, whoa, that was pretty rough. And then you look at what happens when the cops don't do things the way they do them. When you look at the dangers of not going and making sure that you immediately get control of someone. I was watching a, a cop documentary, and there was a guy that had his hands, he was on his stomach, there were four or five cops around him, and he would not pull his hands out from under his body. And he refused, he refused, he refused. And one of the cops there said, if you don't, we're going to tase you. And they ended up tasing this guy. Now, there's five cops on top of him. Why in the world would you need a taser? Well, isn't it interesting? Well, as soon as they tased him and he put his hands behind his back, when they rolled him over, he had a handgun in his waistband. He was reaching for a handgun. If you don't if you don't witness those kinds of things, if you're not involved on a daily basis with the dangers of that job, I don't know. That doesn't mean cops always act appropriately. But how are you qualified to judge somebody? And in this the two cases, what they've both done is they didn't say the cops did anything wrong. All they did was raise questions of, well, maybe you didn't ask about this and maybe you missed something there. I just think it's dangerous. I, I think that it is it, it, it gives people a false sense of suspicion based on innuendo. And I don't think that's the right way to go. I don't think it's fair to anyone. I don't think it's fair to anyone. In a moment, we're going to talk about the Maricopa County attorney and how Rachel Mitchell is not going to extradite a suspect in a stabbing. And New York is upset because they have a case for murder. Why she's not doing it and when she will. Next.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Stop addicted to the shindig. Chop, chop, it says I'm gonna win big. Choose not the life of imitation. Just get close to the reservation. Just seemed like some appropriate Friday fun music. Thanks for being here. Um... So this has become a national story. If you're not familiar with it, I think you, uh, I think most people are in the valley. In surprise at a McDonald's, um, a guy stabbed a woman, stole her car, um, and uh, he stabbed another woman. So he's a couple of stabbings here in the valley. They caught this guy, and then it turns out he's a suspect in attacking women in Florida and murdering a woman in New York. So New York wants him back because it's a murder case, so they want him there. Our county attorney, Rachel Mitchell, has said, uh, we're going first. We've got him, and we're going to try him, and if he's convicted, we're going to punish him. And she is worried. She's concerned. She was on with uh, Markson when he was in for me yesterday. And the concern is the soft treatment of criminals in New York. Um, I want you to hear this is what she said when she was on with Markson about the concern of being soft on crime. That is a concern. I mean, I, I watched that the same as everybody else watched it with horror as illegal immigrants were attacking NYPD officers, you know, and we support our police here. And for to see them walk out of jail, flipping off the camera, if you remember that part, and then four of them got on a bus and came here and they were arrested here. That's inexcusable. So. Obviously, the district attorney, which is the same thing as a county attorney, the district attorney in New York is very angry at, at Rachel Mitchell and said that he's never seen anything. I've been doing this for over 20 years, never seen anything like it. Well, I will tell you that her first responsibility is to the citizens of Maricopa County and to the women that were stabbed and had their car stolen or her car stolen by this guy. Uh, they are comparing this guy saying he might be the next Ted Bundy. If you're not familiar with Ted Bundy, um, I remember that case very well because I was a young boy in Florida when he was executed. But he was killing women in the Pacific Northwest, and he made his way, I believe it was to Utah. And then from there, he escaped from prison and made his way to Florida, where he committed heinous acts of murders on the campus of Florida State University, was eventually then caught in Florida, tried in Florida, and executed in Florida. Um, so when she was, uh, that she was asked on this about why, why are you going to go first? Why is it important for you instead of extraditing him to face murder charges? Why are you going to try this guy first in Maricopa County? The other thing is, while the other state would not have to necessarily honor our bond amount, and of course our bond amount here is that he cannot bond out. Um, right. There's no amount of money, but they have to honor the fact that he is sentenced to prison. And so we're going to ensure that it is honored that he is kept in custody. And that's one of the reasons we're going first. So they're going to go first, which means once he is convicted and sentenced here to prison, then, and this is what she's going to, and you're going to hear her say this here, that eventually she's going to send this guy to New York to face murder charges. We're going to prosecute him here. We have very serious offenses here. Now, that's not to say that we're not ever going to let him go to New York to face the charges there. Of course we are. So what that means is we know if you stab someone here, 
we are going to vigorously prosecute you. And what she's saying, and it's not an insinuation, she said it, it is a concern. We're concerned after watching people beat up. And and the reason why it's important that they're in the country illegally is because that's a bigger flight risk. We all understand bond and how it works. And the idea is what level of risk are you? The the crime you are accused of committing and what is the likelihood that you're going to show up and honor your court date? That's part of the criteria for somebody getting bail or bond. And so you've got people that are in the country illegally that then beat up. They attack New York City police officers. They're released without any cash bond whatsoever. The four of them jump on a bus and head west. They weren't going to honor their court dates in New York. New Yorkers were outraged. I mean, we're not talking again about like this ultra conservative group here in Arizona and an ultra liberal group in New York. We're talking about citizens that look at this and say, you put a beat down on the cops. What message does it send to the NYPD that you give them a no bail release, number one? Number two, they left. They were doing exactly what people were worried about. They were skipping town. They happened to be coincidentally arrested in Arizona. So when our county attorney is saying, and I'm now I'm, this is my version, my interpretation of what she said, She's saying my responsibility is to the citizens of Maricopa County. We have two people that were stabbed, a car that was stolen by a guy that appears to be on a rampage across the country. And I am not going to send him somewhere where I'm not sure that his treatment is going to be in what I believe is equal to what the punishment should be for the crime he's accused of. So we're going to try him here. If he's convicted here, we're going to sentence him here. Now they have to, in New York, honor that sentence. If he gets sentenced to 10 years in prison here, they can do whatever they want with that murder charge in New York. But when we extradite him there, he's got to be held. That is what I think a responsible person does when they have the responsibility to represent the citizens of Maricopa County. I mean, that's what this in the end, you can talk about all the politics you want. The pendulum is swinging. More people are fed up with criminals being dealt with with kid gloves. And I'm not talking about someone that needs a second chance. I'm not talking about somebody that gets arrested because of an addiction. I'm talking about career criminals, people that have shown themselves. This guy in at least three different states has shown himself to be violent. I wouldn't take a chance on sending him somewhere when they're letting people go for beating up cops without a bond. I don't even know how this is controversial. I don't even know how there's controversy with her. The controversy should be with New York. And if you're someone that's asking that question, has New York shown itself to do odd things with criminals? Yeah, they let four guys that put a beat down on cops go without a bond and they ended up in Arizona before they got caught. And it's not the first time they've done it. I'm anxious to see how this plays out. I know how it's playing out in the court of public opinion. In a moment, we shift back to our economy. 50% of college graduates, more than 50% of college graduates are working in jobs that have nothing to do with their degrees. We'll talk about what that means coming up in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And this 
song. Um, everybody loved this song. In my, when I was growing up, we all loved this song. But once you listen to the words, it is one of the creepiest songs that's ever been made. Ever been made. And go listen to the words. It's, it's about a teacher and an inappropriate relationship with a student. It is amazing. That's a, go look at it. Don't stand so close to me. You'll never sing it in front of your kids again, I guarantee it. Uh, anyway, thanks for being here. Um, half college graduates, more than half are not using their degrees. I, I, I kind of went into a rant about this earlier. What it does, what it says is it isn't a knock on going to college, but what it is is it's showing that education in America is changing like everything else changes. If you go back 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when you go back to when I was in high school, uh, which is almost 40 years ago when I got out of high school, a degree then from any college meant that you were set for life, that you were somebody that was in the top percentile in intelligence and skill set, and it guaranteed you, almost guaranteed you a career. If you graduated from a Notre Dame, as much as I'm not a Notre Dame fan in sports, if you graduated from a Notre Dame or even now in an Ivy League school, it showed you to be of the highest percentile. But even state universities, if you graduated from there, you had yourself set in a career path. That's not the case anymore. It's why you see more and more people going and getting certificates. You see more and more people in the trades. If you go and look, and I'm, I am encouraging anybody out there to take a look at this. If you are somebody stuck listening with, to this show with your parents or grandparents and you're a high school kid, you need to start thinking about what are you going to do? And I think we need to start talking to our kids. We're going to talk more in the next hour about the economy specifically. But one of the things we don't prepare kids for is what it takes to compete and saying to a young person at 14 and 15 years old when they're not ready yet to make a definite decision on their future but to start looking at it and for a kid that says I'm not going to college and I was one of those I know I'm not going to college wasn't that I wasn't smart enough I was already working I was I had my first job when I was 12 for whatever reason I liked working and I didn't want to go to school I wanted to work so for someone like that to show them if I had known at 15 or 16 that there were CTEDs available the career technical education districts the, the those schools that have are teaching students skills I could have been had, had a jump start on my trade career but for the kids that know they want to be a doctor or a lawyer or a nurse or in somewhere in the medical field or any other career that requires a degree where you actually are applying what you're learning in the classroom directly to your career path, God bless them. I think that's fantastic. How many students, and this is proof in this study, how many people are either figuring out after they get their degree, it will not pay them enough to sustain them, so they got to find something else to do, or they find out that's not where they wanted to go in the first place in their career, and they're finding other avenues to make money. We have to take a look at how we educate. I mean, I, I think one of the reasons why I talk to, to Dr. Crow, and I talk to Dr. Crow as often as I can, um, is I think Dr. Crow, ASU, by the way, Doc, Michael Crow is the head of ASU, president of ASU. Um, they have been named the most innovative university for years and years now, that they have become a, a well-respected in many different ways because I think he is one of those innovators that understands that education is not just this monolithic pillar in our society that has to be the same way and everybody just goes through the system. 
He sees the system changing. He sees how the world is changing and how people consume education is changing. And I think that um, um, we are going to see academia change, that colleges are going to compete differently. You can go and get, and I'm not making fun of any degrees. You can get an art degree. You can get an anthropology degree. You can get a gender studies degree. You can get any of those degrees. That's fantastic if that's the coursework you want to study. But what happens when that degree doesn't sustain you? What happens when you get a degree in those fields and then you go out and try to find a job and you find out that if you get an anthropology degree, about the only thing you can do is go on and get high, you know, get a master's and a PhD and teach anthropology. There's not a whole lot of money to be made, and maybe there is for some people. If you get an art degree, how many people that get an art degree ultimately make a great living with an art degree? I think it's terrific for people that can afford to do that. But for a working class family like I came from, you need something practical. You need something that translates. Okay, I'm good with numbers. I would like to be an accountant. So you go to school and there's great schools for that. If you want to be in business, you look at ASU's business school. One of the best in the country. Now you're talking. Now you know you're going to pay tuition and you're going to get loans and you're going to spend a lot of money. But your chances of turning that into a career that makes you enough money to pay back those loans and live a good life. Now you're talking. Now you're in that realm of where it is. The Cronkite School for Journalism. For it is a it is world renowned. It is a great program for people. Are you going to be able to get your degree in journalism or whatever it is and translate that into the public relations world, into the broadcasting world, into whatever it is that you're doing so that you can pay back those loans? Those are the questions that young people should be answering without blindly being led into a college degree as if that is still means the same thing just because it's a diploma that it did 40 years ago. It doesn't. We have got to educate people on their choices and what their desires are and then match their education path to the desired course they want to go in or direction they want to go in. I mean, it's I think it's simple math. All right, what we're going to do in the final hours, of course, at 1120, we get you caught up on the biggest news stories with a segment we call Did You Hear This? But we're going to talk about the border coming up just after 11 at 11.05. Is the president changing course in his border policies? And if he does, what will it mean? That's what we're talking about next.